Have you guys ever had your heart broken for something? Have you ever seen something you're like, I want to go and do something about that? As we're studying the book of Nehemiah, I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in. And we're going to be reading from the book of Nehemiah today. We're reading chapter 3. And this is Nehemiah's heart. His heart breaks for his city. He's a cupbearer, so he's a he's the person that actually like tastes the wine for the king, and he gets to taste a bunch of wine. Pretty good job, right? <laughs> pretty, probably pretty good wine. And so uh, this is his his job. But God breaks his heart for a city. He sees a city that is actually just ruined, and all the walls are down. Uh, the the city is completely desolated, and People are trying to live there. There's people that are finally coming back to the city, but it's just destroyed. And so God breaks Nehemiah's heart for a city. Hmm. Breaks his heart for a city. One thing that uh, the Lord's just been doing lately for me is there's this, there's this amazing view. I was just talking about it today that you can actually see all of downtown Davenport. And just going up there and like, God, break my heart for the city. You know, to see you move, to see your kingdom come, to see your will be done in this, on earth as it is in heaven, in downtown Davenport as it is in heaven. This is Nehemiah's heart. And so he leaves his job as a cupbearer. And we read about that last week. He goes and he inspects the city walls. He goes and, and invites a few other people and tells them, this is what I'm doing. He doesn't invite a whole bunch of people yet. He actually trusts some people around him and tells them, this is what I'm doing. And so they go and inspect the city walls. And today we're going to talk about how Nehemiah rebuilds the city walls. And I want to go ahead and start off with this. Um, One thing that just really stuck out to me in in chapter 2 as he was going to rebuild the walls is people started, uh, were very offended that he was going to rebuild the walls. And they started mocking him. And what I love about this book is Nehemiah does not like go home throwing the towel because some people ridiculed him. He keeps going. He keeps going in the same direction and uh, keeps inviting more and more people into something even though people are doubting him. And so this is what Nehemiah does is he pushes through doubts, he pushes through ridicules, he pushes through uh, people saying that he had a different motive than just to rebuild the city. He just keeps going. You might need to hear that this morning. You know, they keep going. Even when people don't understand the, the, the gift that God has given you or the heart that God's given you, the passion that he's given you for something, you just need to keep going. And so Nehemiah doesn't sit back with the doubters. He just keeps going forward. And today we're going to talk about Nehemiah rebuilding the city. So if you want to turn to chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 1, we're going to be reading 1 through 2 today. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to jump right in. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to uh, just speak directly through your word today. Lord, I uh, get out of your way. Would you speak directly to the hearts in this room, including my own heart, what it is that you want to say? Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way, God. Yeah, we just set aside this time to just choose to engage. There's so many distractions in our life. So, Lord, we're just setting aside this time 
to just say, you know what, God, we want to hear from you. Would you speak, God? Would your word be alive in our hearts today and in our minds and in our spirits, in our souls? Would it speak directly to each one of us? In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Elisha, the high priest, and his other fellow priests went to work to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zerker, the, the son of the Imri, built next to them. So to spare you guys from me chopping up every single name in the Bible, <laughs> that is what I'm going to read today. <laughs> it's all these names that are just very hard. I mean, um, it's funny. Have you guys ever listened to the Bible app on your phone? Okay, so I invite you this week to listen to the Bible app, um, verse or chapter 3 in Nehemiah, and the guy that's speaking in the Bible app is pausing and trying to figure out names also. <laughs> this is the person that we paid to read the Bible. And he's like, uh, yeah, um, God, people. <laughs> he was having a tough time. I'm telling you, this is like, there's so many different names in here that are, are fun to pronounce. But the point of the message is Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. He rebuilds the walls, and then he puts gates in them, and everybody plays a part in it. It's, it's like, it's the most beautiful picture. It's one of the most beautiful pictures in the entire Bible, if you ask me, that all these people working together from different tribes, from different backgrounds, from, in, from different walks of life, and everybody's taking the rubble of the old walls, and they're actually using it to rebuild new walls. It's just so amazing. But the thing that I wanted to focus on today, and I was really drawn to, was the gates. You have these walls, and so these walls are 10 foot wide. So it's, it's about here to the end of the stage, 10 foot wide, okay? And they're 35 to 55 feet high. So think of the work that has to get done. That's a big wall. And then the other part is, is they're from here to the 74 bridge, it's three miles of those walls. Nehemiah gets it done in 52 days. That's crazy, right? Because everybody played a part, and they understood the value of it. And I'm going to end with what, why he did all of this, because it's really important for us to know. But I want to focus on the gates, because each gate has a significant meaning in our discipleship with Christ. So there's 10 gates, and each one of them describes what it's like to start following Jesus and then what comes next. And so Nehemiah, when he built this, his, his strategic plan was to build counterclockwise. And so he builds this entire place counterclockwise, and each one of these gates represents our walk with Christ. And you're going to see how they actually, it's, it's kind of chronological a lot of times, how we walk through this gate, and then we walk through this gate, and we walk through this gate, and we're going to end with gate 10. You guys ready? Okay, first gate we have was the sheep's gate, which we just read about, right? Remember those two people's names? Okay, good. <laughs> we have the sheep gate. It was the priests that actually built this gate, and they dedicated it. They, they anointed it, 
They prayed over it once it was built. The reason is the sheep's gate was represented where they would take the sheep in to the temple for a sacrifice. And so this is where the sheep would come in. They called it the sheep's gate. And you come in, and then the sheep would be sacrificed for all your sins, for the atonement of sins. In the Christian walk, it looks like Jesus. It starts with Jesus as our in. He is the gate for all of us to have the love of the Father, to be accepted. It's because of what Jesus did as the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus was the lamb to be slain, right? So Jesus enters into the sheep gate and actually makes a way for all of us to be loved and accepted and be forgiven of everything we've ever done. So it starts with the sheep gate in a discipleship. The second gate that we have is the fish gate. You guys know where that's at, right? The fish gate? <laughs> so the fish gate was right next to the sheep gate. And remember, Nehemiah is rebuilding these, and he's doing them one at a time. Starts with the sheep gate, and then we get to the fish gate. Well, the fish gate was where the people from the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, they would come in with their fish. Probably the disciples later on in the Bible, right? And they'd come in with their fish, and they would bring it to the market. This was called the fish gate. It was probably a stinky gate. Maybe. I don't know. So we had the fish gate. We had the sheep gate. Jesus accepts us. He brings us in. We're called his own. We're forgiven of all our sins. And then what does he do? He calls us to be fishers of men. It's the very next step. And a lot of times in our discipleship journey, we totally pass up this opportunity. I think of the Samaritan woman who just heard about Jesus and becomes like she's just heard about Christ. And within like hours, she becomes the biggest evangelist in one of all, all, all of history. T tells her entire town about Jesus. Sometimes we think this personal relationship with Christ is just about us. But Jesus, what he does is he actually invites us to tell other people about him. And so when we have a passion in our heart and Christ does something in our heart, one of the greatest opportunities we have is to tell our friends that don't know anything about Jesus about him. We become fishers of men. And I just want to say from our pulpit, like when I invite you to tell people about coming to church, we got Easter coming up. We got all these events coming up. When I'm telling you to invite people, I'm talking about the people that don't have a home church. And I'm talking about the people that are probably the most broken people in your life. I want them here. I'm not trying to invite you to tell and convince your friends that have another home church that they should come to your church. That's not the goal. <laughs> That's called fishing from a bucket. <laughs> There's a Mississippi full of people that would love to know about Jesus, and we're so concerned with the like 50,000 people in the Quad Cities that do and which church they go to. I'm talking about the 350,000 people in the Quad Cities that don't have a church and they need the desperate love of Jesus Christ in their life. They're searching, and we have the good news. And so God calls us as fishers of men. Those are the people I want at this church. Does that make sense? Okay. So we have the fish gate. Next to that is the old gate. The old gate speaks of the old ways of truth. After experience the sheep gate and then the fish gate, the old ways of truth never change. We've experienced Christ. He's done something in our heart. 
He calls us as fishers and men, and we come back to some traditions, some old ways, the things that we read about in the Bible. That's why we have God's word. Not only is it alive and living and it always speaks, but there's also amazing stories in here of people like, I want to be like Jesus where I wake up in the morning and then people are like, where is Neil at? Where Amy's calling you guys and texting you. Have you guys seen Neil? And you're like, yeah, I know exactly where he's at. He's, he got a way to go pray. You know, the old ways, the old traditions, the things that we read about, the, the ways that people had this beautiful relationship with God, it's in the Old Testament and it's in the New Testament. Jesus saves us. We're called fishers of men. And then we come back to some old traditions. Gathering together is a beautiful tradition. Coming together to worship God, to be encouraged. It's the old gate. Next to that was we have the valley gate. The valley gate. How many of you love the valley gate? <laughs> A lot of times at becoming a Christian, there's a honeymoon period, right? Right? <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully there's a little. And then we have the sheep gate, we have the fish gate, we have the old gate, and sooner or later we'll have the valley gate opened up. The valley gate speaks of humbling times and trials in our life. It's, ex it's an experience to come back to Christ as our Lord. Have you ever thought about this? There's no fruit or anything alive on the top of the mountain. It's a beautiful scene. Everything that is alive and produces fruit is in the valley. And so when we come back to Christ and our heart changes, there's a lot of times where we go into the valley and God's producing fruit in us. He's drawing us close to him in those valley moments. I need some of you guys to know that if you're walking through a valley, you haven't done anything wrong. It's part of discipleship. Sometimes we just look at that as like, man, what did I do, God? And I'm here to tell you that's just not the case. Sometimes we walk through valleys. But he's always strong enough to carry us through. One of the greatest representations of a valley is the father just wrapping you up and picking you up and carrying you in the valley. Just like a shepherd would, a sheep. So there's a valley gate that led out to the valleys. After the valley gate becomes, there's one more, there's the dung gate. <laughs> it's my favorite gate. <laughs> the dung gate. It's a use we don't work, use very often. So this is where all the rubbish would be taken out of Jerusalem. They would use this gate. This is like the garbage gate, you know, everybody, okay, it's Wednesday, everybody take out your rubbish. After we experience a valley, sometimes we're drawn into the dung gate. 
This is where all the rubbish in our life gets removed. Valley experiences sometimes are used by the Lord to show us some rubbish that is in our life that we could take out. Yeah, I'm working in this area. Man, can we get rid of that? Let's get this garbage out of here. Would you make way? God uses the valley gate. Then we have the dung gate. Next to that, we have the fountain gate. The fountain gate was located near near a pool. And it was used for people to actually be clean before they would go into the temple. This is where this gate led. When we have room and capacity for when, when we've removed the rubbish in our life and the garbage in our life, that's also another time that the Holy Spirit comes and fills us up with new stuff. So we have the valley gate, which kind of shows us some areas God's working on. Then we have the dung gate where God's like, yeah, let's get this stuff out of your life. And then the Holy Spirit fills up all those areas that we were trying to fill with other stuff. It's a fountain gate. It's a fountain of new life where we're filled with the Spirit. Next to that was we had the water gate. The water gate. We come right out of the... We come out of the... Uh, or the uh, fountain gate into the water gate. And this is when God's word becomes alive and living. We're filled with the Spirit. God's removed some things in our life. He fills us up with the Spirit, and then His Word just becomes this water for our life. Where, where you're, have you ever been just so drawn to God's Word? So it's, it's like you're out in a desert, or you're in a marathon, and you're like, man, I am so parched. And that's what life does a lot of times, is, is a lot of times we look for other things to kind of fill that. And then God's Word, we come back to God's Word, and it's like, oh, it's water to my soul. And it doesn't even matter where you start reading. I think you could start at Genesis. You can even read Lamentations, and it would be water for your soul. And this is the water of life. God's word is water to our souls. It's water to our hearts. They're filled with the Spirit, and what the Spirit does through the fountain gate is it actually brings God's word to life. So if you've ever been in a moment where you're like, you're reading the Bible, it's like, <laughs> this is just, like, I'm falling asleep. Maybe you're there today. Sorry. <laughs> but <laughs> and what I'd invite you to do is say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me through your word? Would you speak to me? Would it be water for my soul? Because I desperately need to hear from you, God. And I'm sorry, I'm not hearing anything today. And so you can invite the Holy Spirit to just speak through his word. Whenever you're dry and parched from all of life, go to his word. It's going to be water. I can't put a finger on it and explain it, but it's real. I really can't. His word, even even using your Bible app and listening to the guys stumble through all those names, It's still water to our life. Like, God will still speak through that. 
It's weird. But it's good. So we had the water gate, and then we have the horse gate, which is right next to the water gate. This was right next to the king's stable. The men of Jerusalem would get on their horses to go off into war. This is what this gate was represented. So as people were coming to come and attack, or if they were going to attack, they would get on their horses and then go off into war. And the horse gate represents the war of our life. As you start to, <laughs> man, I, I wish I, yeah. As you start to grow in Christ, there's going to be a war in your life. I'm telling you right now, like, don't think that you're an oddball because you're at war. People will start offending you more. I'm serious, okay? I just let it go. People will offend you more. Um, the other thing is, like, you'll, you'll feel like everybody's against you. And Paul makes it so clear that our battle is not against flesh and blood. That it's against spiritual forces of darkness that are coming into our life, that are trying to attack us. And so it's no wonder that you have the fountain gate where you're filled with the Spirit, right? And then you have the water gate where it's like God's Word is alive and living. And then all of a sudden you have the war gate, the horse gate. And that makes total sense as we walk through, through discipleship. It feels like you're at war. And the truth of the matter is, is you are. The great part is it's not against people. That's the hardest part to remember. As you start to move forward in Christ, the enemy's going to want to take you out. And man, I wish I could just save every single person that goes through this and just gets taken out by the enemy as soon as they start growing in Christ. So understand that there's a war. And the more you grow closer to Jesus, the more your eyes are open to the war. That happens. So just push through that. As he fills us with the spirit, his word becomes alive. We are at war. And then you have the east gate. And this is the gate that Jesus actually came through that we're going to be celebrating next week, Palm Sunday. When he comes into town, it's called the East Gate. It's Gate Beautiful, the East Gate. One of the craziest parts about this is because Jesus came through there, they, right now in the 1500s, they actually uh, blocked off this entire gate. So you can't go through this gate right now. You can go to Jerusalem. You can go through the other gates and experience all that. It's really cool. Like You can YouTube this stuff. But the east gate, you can't go through. And so what this means for us is in our discipleship, as we're growing in Christ, as we experience, wow, I'm really at war here. The one thing that we can look forward to is the coming back of Jesus Christ. So he came through the east gate right now. They blocked it off because they're saying, we're going to wait until Christ returns, and then that gate will be open. And so we have a hope inside of us. We have a hope inside of us that this isn't the end of life, guys. Thank God. Seriously, I mean, think about that. This isn't the end of our life, that there's a whole nother life that we have in eternity, in heaven. And so we can live with this hope inside of us 
Today's today and tomorrow's tomorrow, but you know what? I'm living for eternity. My stocks are out of GameStop, and they are in eternity now. Should have pulled them out. It's an eternal living. And as we draw close to Christ, as we, as we are filled with the Spirit, God starts to prepare our hearts for eternal living. Have you experienced that? You know, as you've been following Jesus, that the Lord's actually been preparing your heart. You know, things aren't as big of a deal as they used to be. So like, you know what? I'm living for eternity. Eternal living. The east gate. And then lastly is the inspection gate. This is the very last gate. This is the 10th gate. And this is where um, a lot of times when you read in the book of Psalms, and you read about David in David's life, he would actually come down and inspect his soldiers. So when they come back from war, David would come down and like check them out, like, you know, show me if there's any wounds. And he'd want to know. David was a man after God's own heart. People were very important to David. You see that. His family is super important. Even his soldiers, like he, he, he loved people. He screwed up a lot, and he loved people a lot too. And so this is the inspection gate. And, and the way that this applies to our life is the Lord inspects our heart all the time. I think of David in Psalms 139. He says, search my heart, O God, and know if there's any wicked way within me. He inspects us. Are you doing okay? Are you doing all right through that war you made it through? I know you've been out there in battle. I heard what they said. How are you doing? He inspects our heart. He inspects his kids. And I love, so I said that this started counterclockwise, right? Started with the sheep's gate, went all the way around. Remember the dung gate. <laughs> the one thing you remember. And then it came back to the inspection, but the inspection was right next to the sheep gate. And that's just how Jesus does things. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. He's the lamb for us. He's the lamb for all of us to to be loved and accepted. And the closer we get to him, the more he inspects our heart, right? Have you ever just been in prayer and God just starts bringing some stuff up to the surface? That's what I'm talking about. You're just like, God, I'm going to set aside five minutes to pray, but, you know, um, okay, it's three minutes because I got to be somewhere, but. <laughs> and God's like, Whatever. I'm still going to reveal stuff to you. I want to see how you're doing. I want to check in with you. That's how he does things. He inspects us the closer we get to him. One really cool thing about this was everybody in the city played a part. Okay? Except for the Tikoite, told you it was fun names, the Tikoites nobles, they 
felt they were too good to work on the wall or the gates. The nobles, the people who've been around, the I've done this before. I've already, I've already did my time. Right? I'm saying that the counterclockwise, this movement of discipleship, never gets old. You spend your whole life doing this. You didn't accomplish all the gates. Nobody in the room has. God's always drawing us closer to him. We've never arrived until we've arrived. I want to build something for you guys. Can you see this? Somewhat? Jenga. Every week, we're doing Jenga. Nehemiah's like, you're fired. <laughs> Sorry, Nehemiah, I'll try harder. <laughs> Go back to the fish gate. <laughs> it stinks over there. Thank you. And we're done. Okay. God bless. <laughs> Somebody built something much better than this last week as these were laying down here. And I just love, I love, um, I love art. I love how each person sees something so different, right? Isn't that so cool? Like God's created something so different in each one of us. And so they just like built something that was a lot better than this. But it just reminded me of the wall with the gates. You got the gates going on. There's not 10, there's four. But this is what I can do. And Nehemiah's whole part of rebuilding the wall and the gates was so that people could worship in the temple again. It's really important for us to remember that. The entire sole purpose of Nehemiah's heartbreaking was that God was going to call him back for people to worship him again together in the temple. In the temple. Each one of the gates led to the central point, which is the temple. The whole purpose of the wall and the gates was the temple. It was always about the temple. What Jesus did for us on the cross was he reached into the temple and he grabbed what the temple represented 
and then he put it inside of us. He pulled what the temple represented, and he put it inside each one of us. We are the temple. My encouragement for us this morning is to keep your gates open. Keep the gates open. And the reason is, is because fear will tell you to shut the gates. Hurry up, shut the gates. My encouragement for you is to open up those gates. Let God continue to work in your life, continue to work on your heart. Let him be the lamb that was slain. So when sin happens in our life, just remember you're the temple of God. He's forgiven us, each one of us. We represent the temple because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. It was his blood. When the Lord takes us out in the valley and is like, there's some hard trials coming. I know it's hard, but I'm here. Don't shut that gate to God. I'll figure it out on my own, God. Like, this is way too hard for me. Maybe I experienced that. Like, I just got to go figure this out on my own. And Jesus is saying, no, open up your gate. Open up the gate to the valley because I want to speak to you in the valley. I want to bring up some stuff that I want to work with you on. I love you. I'm with you in this. In the dung gate. As the Lord like starts pulling some things from our life, I was praying about the dung gate, which is probably the weirdest statement I will ever say, I think, in this church. It's really praying about the dung gate this week. And the reason is, is because I feel like there's, there's this time in our life where we grab the garbage bags and we put them next to the gate, but we never take them out. <laughs> The dung gate gets taken out and it gets thrown out into the valley and it gets burned and it's gone. So if you have like a bunch of garbage bags, you're like, this is just a bunch of garbage in my life that God's working on. I invite you today to just take those bags and just whip them out there and be gone with them. Be done. Completely. It's over. As the Lord inspects us, let them do that. Give them time to do that in the inspection gate. Keep your gates open. It's my encouragement for you. The Lord wants to do amazing things in our life, and it, he's never done. He's always working on us. So just keep your gates open. See what it's like this week. Try it out. Start off with five minutes of, God, I'm just opening up my gates. What do you want to do? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just thank you so much for your word that is alive and living, that speaks to each one of us. And we love you so much, Lord. So um, just worship you in this time. Yeah. Just worship you, God. Yeah. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to just speak directly to our hearts today. All the gates, Lord, would you... (laughs) Would you make sense of that for each one of us in this room? Would you remind us of that this week? of what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.